Good morning, friends. Happy Sunday. Merry Christmas. My name is Pete. I'm one of the pastors here. I have an encouraging story to share with you before I deliver the message today. So we shared about the Christmas Day dinner uh, a couple Sundays ago, and one of our members went to her employer's and told them about it, and Invergrove Brewing is giving us 150 pounds of mashed potatoes for free for the Christmas Day dinner, which is like so sweet. I just met with one of the owners this week. I forgot, to, I didn't get to tell him thank you because I didn't know about it yet, but I'm pretty excited. So um, I'm Pete, I'm one of the pastors. We're in the season of Advent, that's the four weeks leading up to Christmas, and our messages during this season are all about the coming of Jesus. Jesus came into the world a little over 2,000 years ago, and Jesus is still coming into the world and coming into our lives today. God loves you, and he wants to come and be a part of your life, just like Jesus came to live with us during the first Christmas. Two weeks ago, we started a Bible reading plan. You can connect to that through your program or the River Heights Vineyard app. It's right on the front on a button. You connect through it online. And the readings in the program are organized toward the coming of Christ. And one of these readings this week included a prophecy from a Jewish priest named Zechariah. Zechariah was visited by an angel, and the angel told him, your wife's going to be pregnant, your son is going to be filled with the Holy Spirit, and is going to turn the hearts of Israel to God. I want you to remember that part about turning Israel toward God. That's going to come up later in the message. Zechariah did not believe the angel, and so the angel said, because you did not believe me, you're not going to be able to speak until your son is born. Boom, it happened. Do not doubt the angel of the Lord. It's a good lesson for today. However, his wife got pregnant and delivered their son, and shortly thereafter, Zechariah could speak for the first time, and he delivered this prophetic message about their son, who would later become John the Baptist, and he shared this message in Luke 1, 76 through 80. He says, and you, my little son, will be called the prophet of the Most High because you will prepare the way for the Lord. You will tell his people how to find salvation through forgiveness of their sins. Because of God's tender mercy, the morning light from heaven is about to break upon us to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death and to guide us to the path of peace. And when John grew up, he became strong in spirit, and he lived in the wilderness until he began his public ministry to Israel. Now, for some context here, for 400 years, Israel hasn't heard any prophetic words from God. For 400 years, Israel's been ping-ponged from empire to empire, oppressed and longing for God to set them free. That's the world where Zechariah gives this prophecy, and it's so encouraging. He says, your kid is going to prepare the way of the Lord. God's mercy is still tender toward us. The morning light of heaven is coming, and God has sent your son to point us toward the path of peace. Those are amazing promises in any world. They're especially amazing in hard times, and so they're really amazing for us today. We've been in our own hard times, our own season of need. How many of us need God's tender mercy? Isn't that encouraging? God's mercy is tender toward you. We need God's light to break through the darkness and to pierce the shadow of death. And we need peace. And so the prophecies about John the Baptist are good news. And they remain good news today because they tell us about who God is and what he does. Now, remember, the angel told Zechariah John would turn Israel to God. 
We have a record of the things that John said and did, and that's the main focus of today's message. We're going to go through Luke chapter 3, verses 7 through 18. I'll stop as we're reading and offer some reflections. And just think about this is what it means to turn people back toward God. Verse 7, when the crowds came to John for baptism, he said, you brood of snakes who warned you to flee the coming wrath, prove by the way you live that you have repented of your sins and turned to God. Don't just say to each other, we're safe, for we are descendants of Abraham. That means nothing, I tell you. God can create children of Abraham from these very stones. Even now, the axe of God's judgment is poised, ready to sever the roots of the trees. Yes, every tree that does not produce good fruit will be chopped down and thrown in the fire. And so this is the first message we have from John, and it is one of warning. Self-satisfaction does not count for much in the kingdom of God. It's very hard to impress God, people. <laughs> like, it's very hard to say to God, well, I'm better than that, Lord, right? I'm special, don't you know? Like, you're supposed to be doing some stuff for me here. The people of God in John's time are so confident God's got their back that they're engaging in all kinds of wrongdoing because they're privileged, and John the Baptist criticizes their confidence. He points out God is not impressed with your status. And to his credit, the crowds actually listen to John. Verse 10, the crowds asked, what should we do? Now, I think this is such a great question to ask God, directly in prayer or by asking someone who loves God. John's warned them, you're the people of God, you have to show it by the way you live. And so they say, well, we want to be the people of God. How should we then live? And I just want to give you a second right now to ask God how you should live. God's still capable of talking today. And so we'll just have a moment of silence and you can ask God if he's got anything to say to you. Okay, that's good. Verse 11, John replied, if you have two shirts, give one to the poor. If you have food, share it with those who are hungry. What a great answer. This is most likely not the answer people expected, and it's not the answer most people expect today. A lot of times we think about the faithful life, and we think about time in prayer and attending church and believing the right things, and a faithful life can totally include those good things. But there is a real danger in the faith life, and that's that we'll turn following Jesus into some set of ideas that we prove by what we say. That right there is the path to empty religion, when it's just ideas and talk. When all that matters is our words, it's so easy to deceive ourselves, right? And to just spend our time doing what we want. John the Baptist, who brings Israel back to the Lord and points the way to Jesus, knows there's more to faith than just saying the right words. When our faith life is in order, it shows up in our actions, and so John's first pointer to the people who want to come back to God is share your clothing and your food with people who need them. This is a hallmark of the people of God. We're not about accumulating as much as we can for our own benefit. Because we follow God, who's a generous giver. He's given us everything we have. And he even gave us his own son. And so being the people of God means growing more like Jesus over time including being generous with everything we have, our time, our gifts, and our money, anytime we have more than enough of these things. 
This is one reason we spend our Christmas day together with whoever God brings from the community. God's been so generous to us. And Christmas is a day for generosity. I love that we have Thanksgiving for gratitude and Christmas for giving things away. And so we invite everyone from the community. For 20-some years, we've put up posters all over town. Don't have anyone to spend Christmas with? Come spend it with us at the Christmas Day dinner. And we've seen just in the last three Christmas Day dinners, I think it went from 120 people to 160 people to 260 people, right? And we have people, a lot of them from our church. We have a lot of families or individuals here in the church that don't have family in town. And then we got folks coming from the nursing homes, folks coming who saw our message at the Thanksgiving giveaway, folks coming who've just heard from word of mouth. And we eat together, and it's glorious. Invite somebody. Come. You're so welcome to join us. And if you can't, I encourage you, make some Christmas cookies the week before Christmas and bring them to the church so that we can give them away. Or on Christmas Day, make a turkey or a ham or some sides and drop them off. Please don't make mashed potatoes. We have 150 pounds, okay? <laughs> that should be enough. <laughs> I don't know who eats a pound of mashed potatoes. Okay, you eat a pound of mashed potatoes, yeah, for sure. Right. All right, this is an expression of our faith. This is an expression that points people toward God. So John's pointers for proving that their children of God go on. Verse 12, even corrupt tax collectors came to be baptized, and they asked, teacher, what should we do? He replied, collect no more taxes than the government requires. Well, what should we do? Asked some soldiers. John replied, don't extort money or make false accusations, and be content with your pay. Now, John the Baptist was famous for living in the wilderness and eating locusts and honey. It turns out there are three bugs that are kosher to eat, and the locust is one of them, and that's super gross. I dissected a locust in seventh grade. It was not food, right? <laughs> John was not part of any establishment. He did not operate out of the Jewish temple or synagogue. He was an outsider. And as a result, the wrong kind of people felt comfortable coming to see him. Just like Jesus, again and again, was friends to the wrong kind of people, like me and some of all y'all, right? John's message reached further into society than it might have if he was speaking in one of these places of power. And so tax collectors came to see him. And in his day, tax collectors were the worst people imaginable. Israel was an occupied territory, and their overlords, who had killed so many of them, were the Roman Empire. I read an archaeological find like the town next to where Jesus grew up. The Romans came in and crucified all 200 residents of every age, just a couple, like within a decade of Christ's life. Can you imagine how angry you would feel about these people being here, right? And so the way they would collect taxes is they would find a local who knew what all their neighbors made, and they would tell them, here's the amount you have to raise for us and give them soldiers, and then that person would go with soldiers and take money from people. And they were free to collect more than they were required, and anything extra they collected, they got to keep. How would you feel about that person in your neighborhood? I like everybody, but I would not like that person. I would not want to see that person come to my door, ever. Guess what? John tells those guys, come on down and be baptized. I think that's so great because it means all of us can make it. All of us are welcome. 
everybody can come and get baptized. Everybody's welcome in the kingdom of God. And he tells them, if you want to be the people of God, you can't abuse your position anymore. Go ahead and do your job. Collect your taxes, but stop making it hard for other people for your own benefit. Just collect what's required. And the situation's very similar when some soldiers come and ask what they need to do to return to God. Soldiers are the police of the Roman Empire. They're not at war. They're there to make sure that the population doesn't do anything they're not supposed to, like rise up or stop paying their taxes. And so they would do things like threaten people in return for bribes, make false charges so people get thrown in jail and lose their assets, which they would then take. And so you'll notice in both these cases, John the Baptist is speaking to people with social power, and he's giving them the same road back to God. He says, the road back to God is to stop using your power to serve yourself, period. We have a group here at River Heights called Theology Pub. Every month we read a different book. It's got something to do with God, and it's always available in the bookstore back there. And then we meet at a bar and talk about it. I would love to have you join us at Theology Pub. It's my favorite group at the church. Discussion's real diverse and interesting. All we do is ask, what did you like? What did you not like? What does this have to do with how we live? Sometimes everyone finishes the book, not too often. Most times people have read some portion of the book, you know? A few years ago, we read a book called Spiritual Authority by a Chinese Christian named Watchman Nee. I don't agree with everything in that book or everything I've read in any book. I don't agree with the Bible all the time. I'm wrong but I still don't agree sometimes, right? There was a really fantastic line in spiritual authority. Watchman Nee says, spiritual authority is never to be used to benefit yourself, period. God's gifts, including authority, are always given to you for service. Always, period. That's the witness of Scripture. That's the example of Jesus Christ. And so that's the path for all of us who call ourselves Christian. God's people use God's authority for God's purposes, which are servant love. And so John lived a life of service, eating crazy things and pointing people toward Jesus. And Jesus, when he came, said, I came not to be served, but to serve. And that's how he told the Israelites to live too. And people could tell from John's message God is doing something. Let's pick the story back up in verse 15. Everyone was expecting the Messiah, the Savior, who would come set the people of God free. Everyone was expecting the Messiah to come soon. And they were eager to know whether John might be the Messiah. John answered their questions by saying, I baptize you with water, but someone is coming soon who is greater than I am, so much greater, I'm not even worthy to be a slave and untie the straps of his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. He's ready to separate the chaff from the wheat with his winnowing fork, and then he will clean up the threshing area, gathering the wheat into his barn, but burning the chaff with never-ending fire. John used many such warnings as he announced the good news to the people. And so John's a prophet from God, quite probably the first as gifted as he was in 400 years. He connects with the people. He warns people with power toward lives of service. He did God's work and he did it well. But he never lost sight of his role. He was there to point to Jesus. He was there to call people not to himself, but to God. And sure, he straightened out people abusing power and he baptized people 
in water as a sign of repentance, all good things. But there was one coming, one who still continues to come, who is far greater. John baptized with water. He would dunk people in the river. But Jesus came to baptize with the Holy Spirit. And John warned people, if you think I'm a big deal, wait till you meet Jesus. Now, I've been taking the Alpha course as my life group this semester, and we recently had our Holy Spirit weekend. And I loved how Nikki Gumbel, who's one of the teachers, kind of slowed down and talked about what baptism means. As it's used in the Bible, baptism means to be completely immersed, to be drenched, or to be soaked. Now, John did that with water, but Jesus came so that all of us who follow God can be totally immersed with the Holy Spirit, totally drenched with the power and presence of God, totally soaked with the love of God for you and for everybody that you ever meet. John came to point us back to God, one person to another. Jesus came to demonstrate the character of God, the works of God, the power of God, and the love of God. Now, John, unfortunately, was later beheaded by a political ruler. I'm like praying that's not our passage for one of these Christmas messages. You know, I just like can't understand what they're thinking when they choose these messages. He was beheaded by a political ruler. Jesus also met a painful death at the hands of religious and political authorities. But good news, Jesus Christ was resurrected. Jesus Christ is alive. The whole purpose of John's ministry was to prepare the way, to point the way toward Jesus Christ, and he did it so well. As you go about your Christmas preparations this week, I want to encourage you, hear the words of John the Baptist. Look for an opportunity to use what God has given you in servant love to other people. I already know most of you are doing this all the time anyway. Look for another opportunity. I mean, hear these words. If you have two shirts, give one to someone who needs it. If you have enough food, give some to someone who's hungry. That's the call that God gives us to turn back to God. Maybe you could buy a Christmas present for somebody you'd normally overlook. Maybe you can invite someone to the Christmas Day dinner here at River Heights. Maybe you can make cookies or bring a turkey or a ham. Let's listen to John the Baptist from 2,000 years ago and take heed. Jesus is coming. And so live like people who've been changed by God. I want to invite you to stand as you are able and the worship team to come back forward. We're going to close with three tips, something to read, something to pray, and something to do to put the Word of God into practice as we have received it this week. Tip number one is read Luke 1 through 3. It's the whole Christmas story according to the Gospel of Luke, and it's beautiful stuff. Tip number two, pray for a heart of servant love. Just ask God to give you a heart that looks for a way to make other people's lives better. How amazing would it be if like more and more of us looked for a way to make other people's lives better? That would be a gift. It would be glorious. Tip number three, follow the Advent Bible reading plan in your program. I'm in finals week. I'm in seminary. I'm writing papers. I'm in chaos. I think I read the Bible reading plan twice in the last week. What am I going to do? I'm going to pick it back up and I'm going to read it again, right? You don't have to give up just because you missed a couple days. I don't either. And so follow the right Bible reading plan in your program. Um, as we transition into worship, I want to lead us in prayer. 
We end our service on worship and prayer because it's the most important thing that we do when we gather on a Sunday. If you're on the prayer team, you could come forward and stand at either side and just be available to pray for anybody who has needs. If you'd like to be prayed for in person, these folks will pray good things for you. Let us pray. So God, we are so grateful for your gift of generosity, for giving us people to point the way, for giving us your very son. We're grateful for the day of celebration that we have coming, where we can mark your incarnation, your birth here among us. And we're grateful that you keep on coming, God. Thank you. God, we have people who need your tender mercy. We have people who are in the shadow of darkness and the shadow of death. We lift up the people in need in our community, here and in our lives. And we ask that you would bring rescue, that you would bring Jesus Christ that you would bring your people who are willing to serve to everyone who's in need. Show us our part, God. Where we've abused our power, would you forgive us and change our heart forever? If we've misused our authority as parents or at work or anywhere that you bring us, would you show us how to lay that down and be more like you? Immerse us in your Holy Spirit, God, in this Christmas season. Amen. We're going to close with worship and prayer, and the worship team will let us know when it's time to go. If you're visiting today, I'd love to meet you back at the welcome table. God bless you.